But I want you to notice again our text tonight and take special notice in this rather brief section, really, how there's a remarkable, and I do mean remarkable, emphasis on the tongue and especially on the wisdom of bridling the tongue. Verse 13 says, In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. Verse 14, wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish, the mouth of the foolish is their destruction. Verse 18, he that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Verse 19, in the multitude of words there wanteth or lacketh not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Verse 20, the, cho- the tongue of the just is as choice silver. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, and so it goes. You'll notice again this truth here repeated, especially in verse 19 is the emphasis for tonight, and I think it's very powerful. In the multitude of words, there wanteth or lacketh not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Pastor, I thought we're supposed to talk a lot. You know, shout it from the rooftops. Go tell it on the mountain. City on a hill and all of that. And you know, beloved, that is true. But folks, that's the gospel. That's the good news of God's salvation. And when it comes to that, the Bible teach what the Bible teaches is go. All the world, every creature, in season, out of season, just go and, and say it. What our text is saying, and indeed what most of Scripture teaches, is this incredible value, this importance of discretion and wisdom when it comes to our words. You're going to see a lot of Scriptures on the screen, I think, tonight. I'm going to begin with Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Now remember the theme, the theme that we're talking about. Verse 2, be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Maybe the most familiar text of all you'll see on the screen comes from the book of James. We'll begin in chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak. James chapter 3, verse 1, you'll see it up there. My brethren, be not many masters. That's kind of amazing if you think about it. Paul says, look, <clears throat> if, I can, if I can kind of interpret this, hey folks, don't try to be a teacher. Don't all of you try to get up in front of people and teach. Be not many masters. That's what it means. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, your lips, your tongue, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, just like a small bit, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so... The tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. 
All right, now, let me, we're going to look at some more scriptures in a moment. What's a bridle for? A, bi- a bridle is to rein in a strong animal. It is to keep an animal from running off, going off on its own, hurting itself, and thus hurting others. Back in Proverbs, turn ahead to chapter 13, would you? Proverbs chapter 13, and don't forget what our theme is. Notice verse 3. He that keepeth, guardeth, watches. He that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Chapter 17 of Proverbs. Turn ahead a couple pages, would you? And again, keep in mind the theme. It's not just talking. It's not just lips. It's specifically the number of words. Chapter 17, verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. I mean, folks, did you know that there are this many scriptures on saying a few things instead of a lot of things? And we're not finished yet. One of my favorite, one of the most convicting texts, I think, on this subject is something the prophet Amos said, something that he told the people of God under divine inspiration. There was Amos in the midst of giving God's people this instruction and God's judgment and warning and reproof and prophecy that was fit, by the way, for a nation and a people who had turned from God under their idols and unto injustice. And what Amos called that time and that place was, quote, an evil time. And it was. There were those in the nation, like there are those now in our nation and around us, who were at ease in Zion. They were oppressing and destroying the very people that they were called to protect. And worse, they were doing it right there in the shadow of their idols. They were sacrificing children, embracing abomination, and there in the midst of this evil dark time for the people of God. Amos, under inspiration, adds this interesting, vital admonition for those who were still with the Lord. Verse 13, therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. You see, beloved, it is true. Keeping silent. Amy says, keep silent in that time. Keeping silent and withholding your words is a common theme throughout the Bible, even in the midst of our call to speak up, even in the midst of our call to preach and be heard and lift up our voice and from the rooftops let the gospel be known, still and always there is this command and there is this wisdom of God to watch what you say. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says there is a time to speak and yes, there is a time to keep silence. Our Lord told the disciples in Matthew 7, Give not that which is holy, and he was speaking about their words. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine. When standing before Pilate, a true time of evil and calamity, there were moments when Jesus, quote, answered him not a word. And as the prophecy stated, quote, he openeth not his mouth. The epistle of James, as we noted a moment ago, says outright that if Christians are able to bridle their tongue, if they are able to keep their mouths and offend not in word, he is a perfect man and able, therefore, to bridle the entire body. And so it goes. 
Reminding us over and again that sometimes a Christian is called to be quiet. A Christian is called to hold his tongue and specifically to do so when there's evil all around, when you don't know all the facts, when there's lots of deception in the world as in the days of Amos and this text. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 39. Keeping in mind this constant theme in the Bible about our words. Psalm 39, notice verse 1. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. Same exact thing that Amos said. In an evil time, sometimes, especially then, you keep silent. Three things tonight I want us to consider. The first one, maybe the most obvious one, is a truth about prudence. The Bible speaks a lot about prudence in the tongue. Amos said, the prudent shall keep silent in that time. And of course, the prudent there again means, the word means wise, it means judicial. The Hebrew word actually means enlightened as opposed to darkened, as opposed to foolish. And yes, when it comes to the most powerful thing on the earth, which are words, The most powerful thing in this planet, according to the Bible, are words. When it comes to those, sometimes the wisest thing you can do, the godliest thing you can do, is just don't use them. You may remember when Job said in Job 40, What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Well, folks, if you read what God said to him in the next 54 verses, you'll agree That is exactly what Job should have done. That is exactly, that was the wisest thing that he could ever do. Someone asked me about a relative of theirs who was doing something that this person who asked me didn't agree with. That's something he wouldn't reveal to me. I can't tell you what it is, Pastor, but they're doing something and I I need to know. Can you tell me if I should call her out on it? Should I go and, and, and just, you know, approach her on that, even though you don't know what it is? And I said, I have no idea, but I can say this. You shouldn't say a thing to that person if, A, it doesn't help that person, B, it hurts more than it helps, or C, it helps more just to keep silent. He looked at me, he's in here, and he said, well, that's disappointing. I said, why? He said, because that means I can't say anything. And I thought, well, why would you want to? Why would you feel the need to? You know, one of the things my dad used to say to him was, Jimmy, it's never a compliment if someone calls you a talker. Man, he's a talker. She can talk the hind legs off a donkey and all those little sayings, right? The Greeks used to say wise men talk because they have something to say and fools because they have to say something. God says that there's a time and that there's a place where the prudent Understand that it is prudent to be silent, and most especially, this time is in an evil day. Or as the text says here, when the wicked is before me. It's interesting to me that when God called Amos to prophesy to his people, he chose a man who was really kind of quiet. A shepherd, a fruit picker, not a prophet, and as the Bible says, not a prophet's son. He went up to Bethel, he spoke only the words that God gave him, and then he went right back to Tekoa. Never, we never hear from him again. 
When God chose Moses, Moses wasn't a talker. When God chose Isaiah, he definitely was not a talker. Even the Apostle Paul wasn't all that much of a talker, if you will. But that's okay. In fact, beloved, it's really more than okay. When you're careful to speak only those words that are wise and that are prudent. You know, I was thinking one of the main characteristics of the coming Antichrist, if you think about this, is that he's going to be a big-time talker. We just went through Revelation a couple summers ago. You know this is true. He is a boastful, talking machine. And he's a talker, especially in a time of evil. But if you think Hitler was like that, Mussolini was like that, so was virtually every single founder and leader of any cult. These are people who just want to talk, and they talk and talk a lot in uncertain and evil days, or when the wicked, as the text says there, were before me. But the wisest people of God know when to remain silent. And so he said, number one, there is this lesson of prudence, being prudent with what you say, the time that you say it. The second thing in the text, number two, is a lesson of purity. You see the verse up there, verse one, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. You know, you can sin with your tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Now, in other words, he's saying you can sin with your tongue just by not holding back, reining in the words, while the wicked is before me. The text we read earlier from Amos says that the prudent keeps silent in that time for it is an evil time. In other words, sometimes it's wise to be silent when everything is evil precisely because everything is evil when the wicked are before me. For example, Ephesians 5.12, the Bible says that Christians should not speak of things that others do in secret. In fact, it says it's shameful to speak about those things that the wicked do in the dark. You know why? Because it's not worthy of your lips. It is as a child of God below your level of grace. I got to say, one of the most beautiful, amazing things I think about our Lord and about New Testament writers and about this beautiful, wonderful book, The Inspired Word of God, is how they themselves lived in vile, impure, dark, hedonistic times. And yet, think about this, in all of those recorded words, they never described the times and the debauchery in detail. I mean, if you knew what Augustus and Herod and Nero and Caligula and the Ephesians and the Greeks and the Romans did on a nightly basis all around the churches of God and the people of God, if you knew the history of that vile time, you also know that the Bible is incredibly discreet and quiet about what they were doing. The times were evil. And with that evil... The godly were restrained and very sober about it. I've noticed in the last 10 years, maybe 15, it's become very fashionable. It's become fashionable in America's pulpits for preachers these days, I guess, I don't know, to show how relevant, how cool and hip they are, to be crass and crude and anatomically blunt in the pulpit. 
And I've gotten bailouts and I've seen brochures right here in West Palm Beach that advertise a teaching series on subjects that the Bible is far more judicious about than these guys are in the pulpit. And I know they think it's catchy and clever and sophisticated and modern. What it really is, beloved, is carnal and indecent. There are some things you just don't say. I don't trust preachers who from the pulpit use profanity or take God's name in vain or tell off-color inappropriate stories from God's desk. I don't trust those guys. That is not keeping your mouth with a bridle in an evil time. Some of you will remember, some of you who are old enough, when your mother would literally hear you say something nasty as a child and wash your mouth out with soap. Now, it wasn't vanilla sugar cookie cinnamon Macintosh apple soap either (laughs) from Bath and Body Works. It was lye soap or that lava stuff, I guess. And, of course, it didn't really clean up your language, this nasty soap. It was punitive, completely punitive. Do that today, and HRS will haul you off to wash their mouth out with soap. And yet today, it's not just the children who need their mouths washed out, it's their moms. You may recall, in Mark chapter 9, the apostle Peter was in awe about what he saw on Mount Tabor. Who wouldn't be? And it says there that Peter wist not what to say. He didn't know what he should say. But guess what? He said something anyway. He just went ahead and blurted it out, and you can be absolutely sure what he said was the wrong thing. And if you read the narrative, you see that that was the precursor to the time of great evil when Peter was by a fireside and the Lord had been arrested. And Peter's talking. Why was he talking? Because when he was talking, they recognized his accent. They recognized who he was, and he was accused by those around him. And once again, not knowing what to say, Peter spoke up. And sadly, he cursed and he swore and he lied in his denial. He would have been better just as we would all be better in times like that to keep our mouth shut. It is a dangerous and harmful thing to carelessly run your mouth when there's so much evil in the land. A lesson of purity. A lesson of prudence and wisdom. And then number three, and maybe primarily, I want you to notice a lesson of patience. Remember again what Amos said. Let me read it to you. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. You see, hear this carefully. One of the blessings and revelations of simple prophecies like this in the Bible is that they serve to remind us of why we can keep silent. Just simply why. You and I, as children of God, can keep silent in times of foolish and evil. Why and how? Amos said, the Lord, the God of hosts, is with you. That phrase, the God of hosts, by the way, refers to the God of battle, our defender, our captain. So that, in other words, when you know something, and you know that you know something, and that thing that you know is victory, you don't have to constantly talk and barter and bluster. You don't have to keep on going on and negotiating and arguing and threatening. You may be grieved. You may even be angry. But you're not afraid. 
As a child of God, it's not like you're worried. You're not groping in the darkness uh, as the others are all around us. Instead, there's this quiet confidence that God is on His throne. There's this, this assurance in your heart that these very evil days were predicted by God and that His people can still, can be still and know that He is the Lord. In other words, the silence admonished in Scripture that we read all of these verses, and it's all about the same thing, not a, just not spewing out words, bridling your tongue, holding them back. That silence is not to be mistaken for apathy or for ignorance or fear or doubt, just the opposite. It's really the silence of faith. It's confidence. We mentioned our Lord Jesus who astounded Pilate with his own silence. He answered him not a word. Pilate wanted to let him go. His one answer to Pilate was essentially this. I know what you don't know. And if you know what people around you in this evil world doesn't know, sometimes that's enough. Some of you have heard me tell, I was in the fourth grade playing little league baseball game and up in Satellite Beach, I was waiting for my brother's game to get over. My brother, Dennis, got up to bat, and unlike every other player on his team, he had the only uniform that had pinstripes on it. It was the last uniform they had, the only one the coach had, and so he had to wear it. He sort of drew the, the short straw. So behind the backstop, kids were making fun of him, calling him pajamas and some, something like that. These are the same kids that I always had trouble with. Dennis was very sensitive and almost in tears. And since I talked him into joining and playing baseball, I felt terrible about it. And so much so that I went over to those boys and I told them to stop or else. There were five of them. So my words were not very prudent. And sure enough, they kind of cornered me and I was terrified, quite frankly. I was also talking 100 miles a minute, ah, talking trash, a little kid, well, I think fifth grade. Trying to sound intimidating, insulting them, they weren't buying it. They were ready to, to just pummel me. And right that moment, a familiar car pulled up. My dad walked out. He stood right behind them, and in his, and in his uniform, his fatigues, he said, Is everything okay, boys? And I turned around, and then I looked at those guys, and I said, You know what? Is everything okay, guys? <laughs> I mean, suddenly, I didn't have to talk a thousand miles an hour. I didn't have to talk trash or negotiate. I didn't have to do any of that. I just smiled. And I said, I don't know, boys, is everything okay here? My dad looked at him and said, Jimmy, just be quiet. <laughs> I think that's what God does with us sometimes. Why don't you just be quiet? I have this. It is amazing how much courage you have when your father's with you, the dad of hosts. And it's amazing how quiet you can be when your faith is strong and you're patient in God's will. There's a wonderful text in the book of Habakkuk that almost always comes to my mind when I turn on the news, when I read the paper, and I see how evil and troubling these days are. In Habakkuk, the prophet begins with his doubts and his complaints to God, and he says, how long shall I cry unto thee, and thou wilt not hear? He says, why is spoiling and violence before me and the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth? The wicked compass the righteous. And we see that. It's one assault after another. And when God answers, He just says this. He says, behold ye among the heathen 
and regard and wonder marvelously. God was saying to him, just look and be quiet because I will work a work in your days and you will not believe though it be told you. In other words, it's not just a matter of what you see because what you don't see is always the glory and the wonder of what God is doing behind the scenes. So that, look, even if you're surrounded, just don't ever forget that your Father is there. there there's a, a, known, a well-known acronym in manufacturing called JIT. It means just in time. And, of course, it's the idea of increasing efficiency and decreasing waste by receiving goods only when they're needed in production. You don't pile them all up in your, your garage or your warehouse and so on. It's also used in the performance of virtual machines and computing. It's, it's important in construction so that you don't have a bunch of steel beams sitting out on the, on, the, on the grass getting rusted. You want them JIT just in time. Our God, who's never in a hurry, often works in our lives just in time. And how many people in this room can testify that you've seen that in your life just in time? Yes, he came through. Okay. Then why don't you trust that the same God will be just in time with all of the events and injustices and questions that you're going to have in this world in this coming year? Instead of just running off at the mouth, showing your quiet confidence in God and knowing that builds in your soul this quiet assurance and faith. So there's no need to blabber. No need to say too many words. You know, I remember trying to get the county, us, all of us, trying to get, who are old-timers, Palm Beach County to stop this madness of limiting new church buildings to 250 seats. <clears throat> How many remember those days? Oh, yeah, good, a lot of you. Yeah, they tried to pass a law, a resolution, no new construction in Palm Beach County could exceed 250 seats. I couldn't think of anything more unconstitutional. But we were the reason for it, Beacon Baptist Church. It was our church they aimed it at, and so we had to go on the offense and spend a lot of time and money and resources. That's why I'm balder than I would have been. <laughs> I met with every county commissioner, had to make an appointment, go to their office. I met with that over months like three months. It was brutal. But they wouldn't budge because of a handful of people who did not want this church, what they call it, a mega church. We can't have a mega church in Palm Beach County. Did you know you're a member of a mega church? I'm Joel Osteen. Welcome. <laughs> and I remember the day came for the big public hearing. This was the big one. Everyone was there. Lawyers were there, all the county commissioners were there, Liberty Council was there, a bunch of fellow pastors, a whole bunch of them were there. For two weeks, all I did was study up, prepare, get the fact the greatest speech ever given was going to be given by me that day. <laughs> I had so many fine-tuned arguments. I had so many facts. My sermons were horrible those two weeks because all I did was prepare for this speech. William Jim, Jimmy Bryan, that's who I was going to be. I was loaded for bear, and, and I was angry. I was really angry. I knew that this was going to be an epic takedown by me. All of y'all were praying for days, actually. 
And sitting over there by the podium, it was all televised, as some of you may remember. I was the first one who was supposed to get up and speak. And I was sitting there, honestly, like a caged animal. I was ready. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I was going to let them all have it. Atticus Blaylock. Suddenly, our biggest, most vocal adversary, the one who just hit us the hardest, she spoke up and she said, we see no reasons why Beacon Baptist Church cannot go forward. I make a notion, motion that we, we give them the permitting. I sat there like, wait a minute. <laughs> I got this speech. I've worked hard on this thing. I'm, I was going to take you down especially. And, and i got to tell you, I sat there, and then the Lord smote me as if to say, do you want to talk or do you want me to work? And I never gave a speech. And you know, I'm glad because now I think all these years later, it was a, probably going to be a bad testimony. And the Lord delivered me from that. I just needed to be patient. And let God work. Luke 21, 19, in patience, Jesus said, in patience, possess ye your souls. You want to possess your soul? You want to own it? Jesus said, in patience, that's how you do it. And so it is in these very powerful but simple exhortations in the Bible, and there are many others on the very same theme that we could look at. We're reminded that sometimes, and especially when it's an evil day, It's just wise to be silent, to be discreet with your words. You see, the glory of that exhortation is that as children of the Most High God, we can be silent. We don't have to run around defending ourselves all of the time. We know why we can be silent, and we can show to a lost and dying world the power of faith and patience. Yes, the heathen rage. The people imagine a vain thing, but you and I can trust and quietly wait for God. Someone asked me the other day, one of our young guys, who's, he's pastoring, but he, he asked me, he said, give me some advice. I said, about what? He said, I don't know, just give me some advice. And he texted me, in fact, today. And I said, all right, here's something. I have never regretted not giving my opinion. I had been thinking about that during the day. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, there have been times when I regretted giving my opinion. But there has never been a time when I regretted not giving my opinion. And what that simply means is it's really better sometimes just to be quiet. Sometimes let God be your defender. And in an evil time, as all of these verses show, When the wicked are before me, don't feel like you have to run your mouth. Because chances are, if you're driving a car and you're going 40, you can handle it. If you're going 140, meaning your mouth is going 140, you're going to cause an accident and damage to yourself and to others. And God's people said? Let's bow our heads, shall we? Pastor Blalock, I'm here tonight and I'm a believer by the grace of God. But I, as a Christian, needed this admonition and needed this reminder. 
I'll say this again, you know, it, it's disturbing that in pulpits, people use so many words that they go off into words of no account and words of bad account. They talk evil about they talk about evil and things that the Bible itself never talks about. This is a strange day. But the admonitions in the Bible are clear and consistent. You don't have to say as much as you say. And it's safe. It's wise. It's prudent. It's helpful to put a bridle in your tongue. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here tonight, and I'm Christian, but I needed this message tonight. In some measure, God has spoken to my heart as a child of God. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and amen and amen and amen? There's a certain protection I notice as I study these verses. And again, there's a dozen more. Same theme. There's sort of a certain protection. Peter talks about it, that God gives to those who are careful with their words. And there's a certain danger, risk, problem for those who are not. Maybe here tonight you're not sure that you're saved. Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. Could I just pray for you? We had some folks raise their hand this morning and ask for prayer for salvation. Pastor Blake, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you raise your hand really high if you're not sure you'd like to be, you want to know you're saved? All right. We're going to pray and in a moment have a time of invitation. This is the altar if our Lord is speaking to your heart. And if he is, you should certainly obey his voice. Father, thank you that you have given to your people, to your creation, the sons of Adam, those who are creating your image, the gift of communication, the most powerful thing in all the universe. Thank you, Father, that with our tongues we can be a blessing, but that from the same fountain there should not come sweet water and bitter, and that you've told us and shown us over and over again in your word that there is wisdom in refraining from speaking too many words too often to too many people about too many things. Help us to heed your counsel and in so doing have a fruit that remains. Bless your people and myself and all of us to that end, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.